0: Dr. Aidan Kay is a doctor of chiropractic medicine from New York Chiropractic College. Please confirm.
1: (laughs) That is correct, Kevin.
0: He is a certified acupuncturist and an avid proponent in Eastern medicine including herbs. He's a very good friend of mine and it's an honor to have him here today. It's a pleasure to be your first uh, interview. First question, entropy things fall apart. Machines fall apart, societies fall apart, people fall apart, mm-hmm. right? cells in fact fall apart. Given the entropic nature of our bodies and our minds, how do you as a doctor think about wellness and how has that
1: thinking evolved? Whew. I just want to tell everybody that I haven't heard any of these questions first. It's a massive, awesome question. I mean, um, it's interesting because I'm met with this, like, Sisyphean task of, like, holding the body together. Like, okay, well, we're going to die eventually, so, like, what's the point almost? But I think that in lots of ways, you know, the more care we take of ourselves, it's like an act of devotion. Mm. Like, everything that we do, like, every act that we're talking about, like, we just worked out right now, you know? every act that we do for ourselves I think it is exponential in like how that pays a dividend later in life and I think that if we start approaching the body in that way that well there's you're gonna see like how things don't break down later in life and I think that well I believe like we're at that stage of our lives where everybody's hitting 30 and they're like Oh, my body's falling apart, you know. But for me, they're like, "Oh, I'm old," and I'm like, "No, I think that the best part of my life is coming up, you know. Like, I can't wait to hit 45, because like at that point, not only will I have mastered the things that I need to keep myself going, such as self-care routines, meditation, exercise, um, but that'll be the point where my mind will be refined as possible, as refined as possible. And I think that that's when I can truly give to the world because not only have I like really mastered the fundamentals of (laughs) this thing that we call life but at that point I think that I'll have enough experience that I'll be able to be like okay now I can really just give to the world and like maximize whatever it is it is that my vision is my passion that I can just kind of like blow it out there like a megaphone so yeah and so I guess the returning to the question in a way like you know what's the importance of that you know it's like there's this phrase that you know a lot of a lot of doctors will throw out there especially conservative care doctors like myself is like you you take your car to get an oil change you know if you're not doing those kind of things for your body then you're just gonna find it fall apart down the line and then it's gonna be a big task to try and get back on track you know so those little things that people come to see me for I always congratulate them for actually seeking out care because those things are like blessings in disguise Even the big things are blessings in disguise because it forces you to kind of like take a step back from all of the stuff that's happening in your life and reflect on like, oh, okay, maybe I was just doing something wrong. And that's where I come in to kind of teach somebody like, hey, this is the things that you were maybe doing to cause this. But the good news is this is fixable. And also we can actually get you to a place where you're actually doing all the right things and your body's going to like really love you for actually doing that in the long run. Interesting, awesome answer by the way. Thank you. Conservative care doctor. Very quickly, what is that? Um, basically, I don't do surgery, right? Like mm. I don't, I don't take somebody okay. who's broken and just fix stuff. I try to take the body as it is and just work around the issue to one fix the main issue, right? Like sure. probably the dysfunctional hip pattern, dysfunctional shoulder what have you, that's causing the the injury in the first place. So, like, what's the reason why is what I always ask people. It's like, okay, we know what. Like, we know what is actually causing pain. Like, you can point to it. If you're pretty skilled in anatomy, you can figure out the structure that's causing the pain. But if that pain keeps coming back, the why is the more important question because it's like, there must be something underneath this problem that is causing that what, right? So for example, say I have back pain, it keeps coming back, but I haven't explored the link between my back and my hip. Then what's happening is the why is like, okay, my, maybe my glutes are not functioning correctly. And so it's causing extra extension happening in my back gonna get real anatomical real quick for you. So I'm just gonna kind of keep it simple as possible. But, <clears throat> but there's that deeper reason, you know, that might be causing that injury. Mm. So my job is to actually do the detective work to figure out what you're doing in your life how you're moving to kind of like help coach you to learn how to use your body the best way possible.
0: Very cool. I didn't know that that's what a conservative care doctor was. Mm -hmm. Given that definition, um, I believe your definition was I don't perform surgery, right? Basically, yeah. I don't just like go in and fix one specific thing. That said, you do depend in large measure, I'm sure, and I'm curious to know what a around what percentage mm-hmm. of the people that you see are because of an injury as opposed to like how many people come to you solely preventatively and are like hey look i'm i'm pretty good <laughs> i run a lot i'm just worried about that i'm just you know
1: can you check me out right probably not a lot i'd imagine not yet um but one of my biggest goals is to shift that percentage to my like yeah. our favor because cool. There's so many people, and if you ask my roommate Dave, who's an emergency medicine resident, he's about to be a resident in the next year, um, he even says too, he's like, like people come to the ER with a biomechanical complaint or like a musculoskeletal complaint. We are not very well equipped to deal with that. So what happens is they'll be put on like a muscle relaxant or some kind of like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug to take care of pain, maybe even an opiate which is a big huge issue in today's society, um, which won't fix anything. That's just taking care of the pain itself, right? Um, And there's so many people that I see that are coming off of some kind of like even maybe a surgery, you know, and um, there's quite a, like I guess a stigma. Of like acupuncture being the medicine of a last resort like oh I've tried everything Mm. now I'm gonna come and try this mythic voodoo acupuncture thing you know yeah and and it does have that kind of mythic quality to it you know in 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 some ways like you know we have kind of culturally appropriated things in in some in some aspects like you know you go into an acupuncturist's office and it's this white Person who has a bunch of Chinese artwork all over the place, you know, as I have my, my hunga, kung fu sweatshirt on, right? Right. Um, You know, and I think that's also not to discount that. I think that that's just an, an homage to the culture that has provided such an excellent system of medicine. But um, on the other hand, it's not very well communicated to the masses, you know. So a lot of my goal is to kind of take the sports medicine a- approach of like, Here's what we do. This is why we do it. Let me show you how it works, and let me show you the immediate results that we can get on the table for most orthopedic conditions, pain specifically, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and in a nutshell, I know you know I don't know your listeners probably don't who, know who I am, but you know, like what we'll do is we'll run people through like a screening, like a muscle test screening. First of all, I don't have any listeners. <laughs> well, <laughs> when you do. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> the intention, um, but like what, what I do is I'll run somebody through like a muscle test of like say the hips, low back, ex- lower extremities, find areas that are inhibited like that aren't testing strong and then we'll use a needle and a little electric stim and get the muscle to contract, reestablish that connection between the nervous system and the body and then like magic, they're like you see, I see people's eyes like just go like what the hell did you just do to me? And it's like, it tests strong and I have to show them, I'm like, do you see this? Now it's the same as both sides, right? Um, You know, and it's really amazing because now they have access to those dysfunctional, those previously dysfunctional muscles. They have access to that and then they can just go about their lives. Movement is huge, right? And they can keep moving and now they're grooving a good pattern instead of an old one that was causing an injury.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking out loud here, and this is not planned, but um, that link between sort of your business, the the business model of your care Mm -hmm. being at least in part, in present moment, dependent on injuries themselves Mm -hmm. or concerns, right? Sure. And, of course, you know, the goal is to shift that, and I love that, but that seems to scale almost every, you know… You brought in Dave and and the ER but that most immediately I thought of like nobody's like hey I'm doing really well I just wanted to start seeing a psychologist Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. do do you I wonder if there's any like I, I wonder if there's any sort of like connection between how we view ourselves in our default modes and just really like the inadequate like use the car analogy but like the ways in which we're we're actually not properly self-assessing.
1: Mm, this is a huge thing that I yeah, thought about. Yeah, go. Um, and this was after we ran that marathon. You know, like you don't really know your weakest link until you've essentially injured yourself, really. Right. You know,
0: or until yeah, you. have ruined a relationship, or you've upset a friend, or absolutely. Until, yeah. Whatever. Yeah,
1: they say that in like you know twelve step programs. It's like when you hit rock bottom, that's when, you know, you're awakened to a lot of these right. you know, things in your life. You
0: you almost need to like rewind the tape,
1: like you go to these crisis moments,
0: whether it be a physical injury, right, or mm-hmm. you know, um, an emotional injury or a relationship injury. You have to like continue to rerun the tape, almost to when things are going <clears throat> well in your mind, right, mm-hmm. and it'd be like, are there things happening here that might have almost necessitated that thing down the line,
1: right? Yeah, and you don't really know what's bad until it's bad, right? Like, you could rewind that tape into where it's well, and it's like, oh, I didn't even think anything was bad right now. Mm. But it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's the same thing, too, with a, the physical body, because you're young, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Mm. And I think that, here's the thing, most people don't know what it is until they know what it is, but also people just aren't aware enough to really have the deep sense of awareness of their body plus you really and this is from my perspective just being like a physical active human I can't even even with all of the expertise the knowledge that I have I can't even figure out most of the things that are going on with my body until I have some other set of eyes look at me objectively and be like I'm gonna muscle test you Mm. because I can't do it on myself and the other thing too is like I can't put needles in my back, you know. So like, who's the doctor's doctor, also, right? But yeah. at the same time as well, when we we're when we we're like running that marathon and things like that, like you you put a stress on your body, and you you start to realize like, oh, here's here's my weakest. Like I know that I'm getting pain here, and then you can start actually digging into it. And I think it's like once people have that moment of like, wake up, like here it is, you know, like yeah, you're not working at 100% anymore, you know, if you ever were. And that's the other argument. but um, And then that's when you can actually start making changes.
0: Yeah, you you almost need those challenges, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go you with do. weights and then I get injured, right? Or, yeah. or I realize it's
1: hard or re- interesting. Um, and, for... we, and would we respect, just to kind of throw this other sure. argument out, out there, if somebody was 100% perfect without ever going through any of those challenges, how would we view that person? I've, I, I would wager that we wouldn't respect that person nearly as much um, as somebody who has kind of gotten to that point right. from the challenges because then they actually know how to like work through things, they have the empathy, they have the compassion to actually like hold space for other people who are going through those things. They're more of a leader in the industry, I would say.
0: I'm, I reference this quote uh, and I come back to this quote all the time from John Norman. Mm-hmm. He, he has this quote in like two different places, what good is virtue if it isn't tested? Mm, yeah. And, yeah, it's fa- it's fascinating to sort of meditate on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, 100%. Who's the Doctor's Doctor should be the name of your first book, by the way.
1: All right. That's a Done. good one. That's a good one. I plan on writing one soon. Not soon, but soon enough. Soon enough.
0: You do a lot of work on yourself, and this has involved work beyond medicine, sort of like mental, psychological relationship mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Um there's obviously like a lot I could ask you about love, sex, and relationships. I guess what I'm most interested in just starting the conversation is as you've done some of that work, have you come across, and I'm sort of pairing this like with the first question, like your societal perspectives on, you know, as you do these deep dives into chiropractic acupuncture medicine, as you do this deep dive into your own psychology, do you then come out of it with these like societal perspectives or like glimpses at, at oh, okay maybe this is what's going on here and my question would be as you've done that work in your relationships and on yourself um, have you stumbled upon any lies that you feel we tell ourselves as a society about love, sex relationships, partnership anything in that direction?
1: Woof first <laughs> yeah. of all Fan- fantastic question yeah I mean I think it's all a lie I think that <laughs> we're told a lie from the minute that we get out of the womb okay. because we are conditioned based on what our parents have been told mm. which may not have been the whole truth right so sure you could get lucky and you're with parents that are very conscious. <laughs> 95% of the way there <laughs> yeah, right, 95% of the way there right. and they've They've actually addressed some of their own, like, you know, traumas, they've addressed some of their own psychological issues, but <laughs> chances are you got to do some of that work yourself. And I think that there's a lot of people that are going through this world and I think that less so now, like less so now with like the, like the information age, we have a lot of social media, there's a beautiful like, like, um, complexity of information out there sometimes and it's, and it's good. Um, But I do believe that there are a lot of people unconsciously going through their life, you know, and if you read any book by like Gabor Mate about like addiction Mm. and things like that, it's like what are you numbing yourself with, Mm. right? Like what are you afraid to feel? What's the pain that you're just covering up, right? And what's that deeper wound that you may have not dealt with that's coming from either childhood trauma or like some stuff that happened in your own life? yeah i mean lies i mean that's the biggest one that i can think of off the top of my head without hearing this question but i'm sure that there's more um hmm. and sorry just
0: to name that first lie it, what what is that exactly
1: um just that what the, your models aren't our are models haven't even figured it out exactly okay. exactly and you're conditioned to essentially whatever that is like there was times like when in my in my marriage um, you know where I realized I'm divorced now but there's times in my old marriage where I realized I was acting like my dad that I vowed never to be like in a relationship and it's almost like yeah we can make that like almost like personal statement we can make that personal like promise but still neurologically psychologically we are going to default to that behavior so it depends on how patient how conscious you are in that moment but if you're stressed out and like you don't have the patience you're going to default to that to that tendency because that's the earliest memories that you have those are the strongest that's the strongest foundation that you've created because you lived it for 10 18 years before you move out on your own it's like most of our lives. Yeah, like I'm 28 Millions now. I still haven't even. Ha- I'll be 36 by the time that I started to like actually go beyond how long I was with like parents and things like that. You know, hmm. so yeah, it's, uh I think it's a constant compassionate awareness of ourselves. You know, like there's this phrase I like to think of, and I tell a lot of my like you know clients that I work with sometimes like don't judge, shine compassionate awareness on it you know because like we have the tendency to like look at ourselves and be like "Mm, I fucked that up or like like you're a piece of crap because of like whatever activity you did right and we can really beat ourselves up but that actually ends up perpetuating the issues that we have so unless you're just like oh you know like okay I was a little off today I may have done this behavior that was an old pattern that I wanted to change but like I just noticed that you know and then we just try to redirect you know so, yeah, I would say that that's, like, the kind of, like, the first thing. And, I mean, there's, a, let me think, lies in, in terms of things. I mean, I think one of the hardest things to, I think one of the big, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a lie. It's something that we should just be aware of, like, capitalism in general. Yeah, like People want, they they will, there are good capitalists, and there are, like, ethical capitalism is a beautiful thing. There are people that are non-ethical and they just want you to buy things, right? So they'll tell you and they'll sell you things. Like the food industry, absolutely a mess, right? The healthcare industry, absolutely a mess. And we can't change it because there are people in place Mm. that are trying to not let the good stuff happen, right? I think of the food industry and I think of like all of this marketing and stuff like that. But then I also think of like hitting sugars. Like if you're actually not looking at the nutritional label... There's a lot of like just added sugars and things to make things taste good because sugar is an addictive substance, you know? In terms of healthcare, like a lot of the best doctors, like I, me, I'm not the best doctor by any means, but like I realized that actually taking insurance, it, take, it detracts from patient care because I'm so busy writing a note that is written for the insurance company so that I can get paid for something that... I may have treated something a little bit differently, but I have to write the note a certain way so that I can get paid, Mm. right? It's wild. And you spend more time doing that than you actually spend treating patients sometimes, right? So if you want somebody to be a good doctor, you should have them doing the 10,000 hours of patient care and not the 10,000 hours of (laughs) learning how to write a note to get paid. Sure. Right? Interesting. Yeah. So now I'm cash-based, which is a beautiful thing because now I can focus on like, when I'm not treating patients, I can actually focus on my passion of like learning deeper aspects of the body, hmm. deeper aspects of the psyche, becoming a better human. You know, all of these things that are like, well, I think those are more useful than yeah, yeah, yeah. paperwork.
0: And just to reiterate part of the question, I, I'm sorry if I wasn't clear on this. That's okay. What are lies that? you might have discovered that we're told societally about relationships.
1: Oh, about, about relationships. About
0: love and marriage, sex, those kinds of things.
1: Hmm. That infidelity is the biggest crime that you can commit in a relationship?
0: Hmm. Shades of Esther
1: Yes. Um because I think that we're all on our own journey. Um, And for me, I discovered that I'm polyamorous through being like, not loyal in terms of emotional, um, I guess fidelity to my ex-wife. Through that, you know, we've had like conversations, I actually just talked to Giselle like, you know, not too long ago, and what we just was like that? had, well, it was, it was great because we actually came to the table of like, hey, like I didn't, I didn't intend to hurt you, you know, like, like we were just young and we got together like too quickly in ways, you know, we didn't really see the flags of the things that we needed to work on. And then so suddenly we're in this like really, I guess, yeah. I would say codependent relationship in lots of ways and a lot of ways and um, and through that then we had to work on the things that were foundationally wrong with the relationship you know and our both of our combined traumas would get in the way of each other so yeah and now I'm out of that relationship and I'm actually in a beautiful relationship where the communications there we focus on those foundational things um, but we're also doing it from an ethical, non-monogamous relationship structure. And that evolves over time. Like I was telling you the other day that we're going more monogamish. You know, like we are essentially like being more exclusive like as we move in together because we want to take care of the things that matter in the relationship. And, and that's the other thing too is like, you know, once you realize that you have these like cravings or like you have these... Um, I guess I guess craving is a good word, but it doesn't really hit the like the feeling that I want because it seems kind of like lustful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not evil, like yeah, you're not doing answers. it right. for like a bad reason. It's just a part of you, you know. And so it took me like a while to realize that aspect of myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you think of like all of the advice on the internet you think of how infidelity is portrayed in hollywood it's like the biggest crime you can commit in a relationship um when that may mean deeper things about either the person or like it may not be that that person is doing it because he doesn't love you and that's the thing and that's what esther perel talks about which i really resonated with because it's, it's a cry for, like, a loss of identity within a relationship. so Yeah. And sometimes maybe ending the relationship or taking time away from that relationship is a good thing hmm. because you allow that other person to get their identity back and become that person that you wanted in the first right. place, right?
0: Yeah, I think the way she puts it is something like you, it's not that, I forget exactly how she puts it, know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, if there's a transgression, it's almost like this this desperate attempt to mm-hmm. break out of the identity that you sort of find yourself to in the relationship, right. or to get back to an identity that you feel like you've lost in right. the relationship.
1: What she's what she yeah. really says is that your identity has become the relationship. Right. Which is what I found. It was because I was working for Giselle's parents, right my relationship was tied with my career in such a way that was like anything that happens badly in the relationship right. affects me in so many ways it reverberates through my entire
0: right. life your identity is always going to be associated with your relationship at least in part and your career at least in part right mm-hmm. so then you have both like suddenly those three that you have this trinity of alignment here that, that might actually become really
1: troubling Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and then um, I just had a thought, and I was trying to grasp onto it. Um, it'll come to me, but yeah, it was it was the identity aspect of things. Um, I mean, there's so many things too. I mean, just like coming at this perspective of life. And it's interesting like as I come at from this perspective as somebody who has learned what it is to be polyamorous or like practice an ethical non-monogamous relationship style I look at all of the people in the world like relationships things like that and you know non-judgmental but it's like there's some things where it's like that relationship style really works to work through some of those deeper traumas of like potentially abandonment wounds of potentially like codependency um, because it's like you're almost forced to work through those emotions within the context of the relationship hmm. now it doesn't necessarily mean that like you are polyamorous and you, you have to do this but it is a healthy way to kind of like work through some of those tendencies without just you know it's so funny because it's like I see people who it's like oh I got out of a relationship now I'm single well being single is essentially your polyamorous. Yes. Right? And so, like, they're just doing that, you know, but they're not doing it ethically, right? Because they're not communicating, like, oh, I am sleeping with a few people, and um, I hope that's okay with you, because I am single, and I'm looking for a little bit more freedom right now in my life, right? That's never communicated, because it's just like, oh, I'm single, like, it's kind of, like it's expected, maybe, or, like, sure. you just don't want to ap- approach, like, a, a harder subject. But then through that, if you did you would actually like really be much better at communication in the long run you know and you would make you would make your partner feel like oh wow this person really does care about me because he's willing to communicate these more difficult things potentially um, and you know that's just my opinion but that's what I kind of discovered through like yeah through this lack of communication in my relationship to now having like an abundance of it right and so like whenever we talk about things that like are very difficult I always feel very heard and appreciated and loved and that always helps when I'm actually working through some of those emotions that I may have about some situation that comes up.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to think about through relationships both mine and others of Mm. moments of breaking up being this very binary sort of spectrum where it's like (laughs) you either watch your friends become sort of introspective and transformative in the moment of a breakup whether Mm -hmm. they were the catalyst or not um, or you watch them just, like, really rock and roll hard, revert back to, like, yes. and you almost see, like, this as it's, like, what what do they feel like they missed? Mm-hmm. They kind of, kind of, like, binge on whatever those things are. Um, and unfortunately, to your point, it's, like, we, we sort of depend on this, like, really volatile um, catalyst as opposed to, like, is there a way to do that in a relationship? And that's, it seems almost, like, baked into a really intentional polyamorous relationship yeah. that you're like hey like the relationship is something that that we work you know like it would sound kind of new agey i think to sit mm-hmm. down in a monogamous relationship or on a date at the beginning of a monogamous relationship and be like this is a training ground for us to become better people more loving right etc 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 right yeah you know and i think and that- they'd be like, like if it were an snl skit it'd be like no actually i I only think that once we break up, and then I'll
1: then I'll really do all the work on myself. <laughs> right. It's too, it's funny. There was two things that came up. I'll see if I can remember both of them. But um, the one thing that you said was like, yeah, people like get get out of this relationship and they fall into old patterns. It's like that's when they're numbing all of their problems. And it was really interesting. What when me and Giselle were speaking, she actually for the first time since we've broken up, she was like, I take responsibility for like actually. Perceiving you as somebody like the idealized version of a partner You know like she saw me as somebody that I was never ever going to be Right, and uh, I think that we do that a lot mm-hmm. You know like we we get into this beautiful like we have these this Beautiful fusion of energies, you know, like we're in the new the you know a term that they use in the ethical non community was is like um, new relationship energy Right? So it's like that when you meet somebody you're, you're like ah, oh, this person's amazing like they do all this stuff that we that I like Yeah, they might do things that I like here right like you start to create these like Fantasies or like these idealized versions of the other that's like that does get carried into a lot of like the Extended relationship sometimes mm. in a lot of in a lot of ways And I think that that's what's so powerful but also something to be aware of about like entering into a new relationship. Because we have the opportunity to be like, you know, we see all this person for all of these beautiful things and there's maybe even more beautiful things, but we don't see them for like the nitty gritty human that they are and that they may actually be working through some things. You know, they may actually, you know, not wake up at five in the morning and like kick ass every single day, you know, maybe they like take a lazy day. Sure. And, like, how, how do you judge that? Like, do you judge that? Or do you actually just see them as, like, a, a human, you know? And how does that affect you?
0: Yeah. Campbell talks a lot about, like, projections, mm-hmm. right? That's, okay. like, here comes – it's, like, if you see somebody and you're, you immediately feel really strongly for them, mm-hmm. you can, like, almost rest assured. Even if you feel really negatively about them, in either case, you can rest assured – that you're all you've got to be projecting mm-hmm. onto them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like he was speaking at a different time, so I think relationships kind of happened a lot faster where you kind of meet somebody and like <laughs> have that feet have be in that new relationship energy for not that long before you then got married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he talks about like you sort of have this ideal, and then like here comes this fact. <laughs> Here comes this you know what I mean? Here comes this fact about this person. And he's like, it does not correspond with the ideal. Right. And and it's like the the this poor little fact, like what are you gonna do with it when it shows up, right? Yeah. This beautiful person or this wonderful person, you know, it is going to despite all their their great moments, is going to be X in a bad moment, right? Whatever mm-hmm. that might be. And what do you do? And he sort of says like you know compassion is the, really the only solution to that where it's like as opposed oh, really? to like sticking them to that ideal and being like well like the word that we use we don't use this word as much it's kind of an old-fashioned term but like in regards to like relationships it's like i i was disillusioned <laughs> and it's like we want the illusion back right right i was disillusioned i thought she or he were these things right mm-hmm. and it's like i want i want that Back, I want that trap back where I just thought they were this really simple, wonderful thing, right? Yeah, and now they're this complex, messy thing, messy thing. And and, you know, he sort of points to compassion being the the solution, albeit you know, much easier to say, said than done. I I think it's an interesting thought exercise to think about in relation to what you're saying. What if I'm thinking like a philosopher, Mm -hmm. what is love, Mm -hmm. right? Versus if I'm thinking as an anthropologist and I'm just describing what my friends mean when they talk about love, mm-hmm. right? Or they say they're falling in love. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to think about the difference between those two answers. Absolutely. Right? Where it's like a philosophical love or Christian love or Buddhist love, you know, like a really high spiritual love, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, and I know Poe Amory talks about, you know, like loving sort of like God and like, <laughs> like, loving indiscriminately kind mm-hmm. of, right? Um versus when people we know actively fall in love. I'm not so sure that's what they're feeling. So then the question is like well, what are they feeling? What is that?
1: Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Like I'm not a huge fan of this term falling in love, you know? Because it's almost like you, you don't have a say in it in a lot of ways. You're, like, drawn into, like, this this love. Um, in some ways, you don't, though. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? You're just kind of, like, oh, there's that person walking across the street, and I am hooked. Mm-hmm. Or I'm certain. My Suddenly, my gaze is lingering. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, what is love versus falling in love? And I think...
0: What do you think love is, theoretically, versus practice?
1: Mm. Well, it ties into what I was saying before about, I guess, what we perceived, you know, what, what everyone writes love as, you know, like our parents explaining things to us. For me, like I had to discover love because, you know, my parents were, you know, emotionally divorced from a very early age. And so... I've had a lot of experience, I guess, like, trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I can only speak from my own perspective, like, love is that compassion. You know, willing to see somebody else for maybe their faults and accepting them anyway. Because that shows that there's, there's, like, that deeper reason for it there's that deeper draw like 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 I love you no matter what mm. you know like it's easy to love somebody when everything's coming up you know flushes you know and and everything's you know coming up roses but like I think it's hard to love somebody when you know maybe they're dealing with something emotionally psychologically right you know and is i guess is I think maybe people like balance that and they'll say is this worth this you know yes (laughs) right yeah I don't necessarily see it like that I, I think it's 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 how somebody makes you feel you know and I think that that is worth like everything we also have to understand that like humans are not static like our growth is not static you know there's this phrase that gets thrown around like oh you can't they won't change sure you know i think that's bullshit i think that everybody has capacity to change and i think that honestly we see that all the time i think that people either change for the worse or people change for the better if they're actively working on it you know but if you take somebody that's in a in a like a you know painfully lukewarm marriage and they're not actively working on themselves they're just going to change for the worse and they're going to keep falling into those old patterns And they're not really addressing things. So, like, I personally think that that love is, like, compassionate awareness of the other person. You know, actively seeing them, actively listening to them, seeing them for all the things that they're working on. Um, It's communication. You know, it's the ability to hear somebody. Um, And it's interesting because it's like, how do we... How do we get to that point with another person? Like, you don't just meet somebody at a bar and you just start, like, talking about this stuff. You know what I mean? It's like this physical attraction at the, at the first, at the start. Yeah. And then you start kind of, like, piecing into these things. So, you know, it, it is an active, like, like transition. You know, and the other thing, too, that I wanted to bring back, too, like, you were talking about lies and things like that. Um, you know, with the whole polyamorous thing, it's not about sex, not in my life at all. It's about just having love for humanity. Like there's this phrase that I saw on a a poster in college, right? You know, it's about the Buddha saying that you know, like one candle, a hundred candles can be lit by one candle. Mm. So like happiness doesn't like subtract from like being shared with everybody. And I think that the same thing goes for love and compassion and things like this, right? But if you are in a in a relationship as I was, where you know, for me going out and like act like loving another human who's not the same gender as me, um, that could be seen as a threat in a relationship, right? Um, And so I have, I I guess I've created, but I also actively pursue relationships where that's okay. And if there is something that like comes from that then that's okay as well, as long as it's communicated ahead of time. You know, like, for me, the relationship is not, like, I have this person, then I'm going to go out and sleep with somebody else and meet somebody at a bar and have a drunken hookup. Like, that is not the case at all. In fact, like, I would never have, like, a hookup, like a one-night stand within this relationship just because, like, that's way too emotionally tolling on somebody else, you know, to, like, not know, like, where your partner is or, like, be like oh that person just like he like went out and did this this like act you know mm. where there was no support being held for the other person um, also like there's a lot of other considerations that go into it like does that other person that you just slept with have like a clean STD check like health health history you know like that's something that okay well your actions don't don't affect are, are now affecting other people in your relationship network right or mm. whatever how whatever it looks like um so you do have this uh, like deeper responsibility for not only yourself but for the other for your partner and and other people in the relationship so so yeah it's it's not it's not a i think that that it gets a bad rap of like okay well it's purely like uh i gotta get my rocks off with as many people as possible and i'm sure that there's people that practice it that way and they call it polyamory or ethical non-monogamy and they're not really ethical about it and that might be because they may not have the language, they might may not have the support system that's there. You know, but there are resources for like understanding how to practice this in a way that's beneficial for everybody involved. And in fact, you can probably level up yourself as you're as you're doing it, as we were talking about before. So
0: beautiful. Last question. All right. You're a soulful, spiritual person, there's no doubt in that. Mm-hmm. Insofar as you subscribe to this language though, what do you <clears> feel called towards? Um
1: Most recently. Okay. So yeah, definitely see myself as a spiritual person. Uh, I think that gets tied into a lot of like my journey into like the psychology of myself as well. But also like, yeah, I, I've practiced what as I was going through acupuncture school, like I was always searching for that deeper, I guess, sense of spirit, sense of self, something that I could practice that really just makes me a better person. Um, so when I was in, like I was raised Catholic, never really felt like that was what was for me. Also, it plays a role in, I guess, my childhood trauma. Like my dad would always take me to church, right? My mom never practiced because she was kind of like had her own childhood trauma with the Catholic church. Like her, her stepmom was like super Catholic to the point where I was like, you know, like you go to church, you get all pumped in circumstance, but then you will like, I don't know, like yell at me in the household in not a not a compassionate way. So it's like, yeah, there's that disconnect there that is pretty common, I think. Um, so I had this mom who never went to church and would like blaspheme essentially. And then I had this dad who was like kind of like doing it because like he thought that was the right thing to do. So it really never resonated with me. Um, not to discount the Catholic church, but you know, it just wasn't for me, you know, like just, I don't know, hearing about like priests who like, you know, um, you know, rape kids. You know, it's yeah. like okay, well, there's yeah. something inherently wrong with that system potentially. And as I understand now, there's things wrong with every system. You know, it's more of like you find the right people within it. But anyway, having that experience, like it kind of like got me to college. And then, you know, in college, I was, I would say, I was, you know, agnostic at that point. But then I was introduced by from a wandering monk, the Bhagavad Gita, which is Hindu, Hinduism. And so, yeah, I was dabbling with that, kind of understanding things and just thinking about that. And then I went to um, medical school, chiropractic school, started doing acupuncture and I was introduced to this energetic cultivation exercise called qigong. And that is essentially, um, we play with the internal energy of the body, right? because acupuncture is dipping into you know classical styles, dipping into that energy of the body to manipulate it to help heal the body. So that was a way for me to actually promote health in my own body. It was very meditative. I was always searching for something that was very meditative. Um, psychologically, I have ADHD, right? So like my mind goes everywhere and I'm always trying to calm that. So for me, that was a beautiful kind of exercise, but it never completely resonated with me to make a a practice out of it all the time. Um, So, you know, through that, I was exploring Taoism, a little bit of Confucianism, things like that. Just some like little things like Lao Tzu and, you know, um, uh, forgetting some other people, but like just reading books, understanding things and like being like, oh, that's cool. I would love to do it I don't know if it's it's I'm called to right Mm. like there's that feeling of like this is cool I like it but it's like you don't get that like lightning bolt moment where you're like I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life sure right it was when me and my ex-wife were going through some issues that we actually discovered um, my teacher now who is a tantric practitioner so um, through the experience of my force um you know working on myself but I also was working with my teacher now Amanda and we've been just working through like the tantric like the absolute tantric um curriculum that she she practices and uh it's been very very like it was a lightning bolt moment when I read that because it it not only kind of Hit me like the Upanishads hit me when I read the Upanishads. There was this line in there that was like, "God is within you," as God is within every other person. And when you can see the God within, as you see the God in every other person, it's like you have this moment of enlightenment. And I think that that's where I get this idea of like love everybody. You know, it's like you're seeing an aspect of yourself within every single person. Right. Um. And so, like, as I was kind of like dabbling in this idea of like tantric philosophy, which is if we were to kind of like just say what it is in 30 seconds, it's um, a combination of Hinduism and Buddhism that was practiced by the lay person. So you don't have to be a Buddhist monk and give up all worldly you know, things that you do, secular things that you do. Um, <clears throat> you can essentially be like me and you having a career, but then also practicing tantric philosophy and, and, and uh, spiritualism, and you could essentially reach enlightenment as as a Buddhist monk would, which is pretty cool because what it's doing is it's actually harnessing more of like the sexual energy. Like you don't have to be abstinent um, to fuel the meditative process. Mm -hmm. Now it's related to Hinduism because it does work with the chakras, okay? So you're actually learning to like awaken all of these different energetic centers in the body. Um, And I guess what it really resonated with me was it, it just hit me in this, like, lightning bolt moment, like, as I was going through this huge breakup, this big, like, exploration of, like, the dirty parts of myself, essentially. You know, what uh, Carl Jung is, uh... The Shatter. Non, um... Insterquilinis Inventor, right?
0: I, I forget what it is, but, yeah. In, in filth filth it will, will Be Found, be found. Yeah.
1: right? And so, like, you know, when I heard, uh... Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Jordan Peterson talked about it. He paraphrases it as like, the things that we want most in life are found in the places we least want to go. Sure. Right? And so I was in that place where I was exploring those things yeah. with Amanda. Yeah. And I was Turning over working the rocks. 12-step program. <laughs> and, um, and it was like, whoa. Like, because there was this line in this tantric text that I was reading at the time. That was all about ananda and it's ananda is this sanskrit word for for the bliss of true reality All right, and we were talking about lies before but it's like the stuff that you were taught like that may not be real truth um, When you find the real truth like the reality of the universe or whatever circumstance you're in There is this moment of bliss.
0: Mm.
1: How are you able to see it, right? And so through this, like, terrible, like, externally, like, everybody would be like, dude, your life just fell apart, right? But I was happy about it because through it, it actually awakened me to all of the stuff that I, one, needed to work on. But it also got me out of a situation where I was just perpetuating my old patterns, Sure. you know? And so through that, I was like, wow, like, all this stuff, excuse me, is, like, manifesting for me. all of these beautiful ways and I had a chance to kind of like separate change and proliferate like like Mm. grow from this you know so yeah and in that way I've been practicing Tantra for about nine months now you know I see myself doing that probably for the rest of my life Mm. you know now Tantra gets gets a bad rap for being this like sexualized philosophy, this sexualized, like, I guess, religion, spirit, and there is an aspect of that within it, because I was saying, like, you can harness sexual energy to kind of, like, open up the chakras and things like that, but, and again, there are good people that practice it, and there are not great people that practice it, I'm sure, right, as with anything in life. But I think that if you are paying attention to the actual philosophy of the spiritual practice, then you are 100% practicing it the way it's supposed to be practiced. Like, if you're going to, like, a tantric festival and you're only looking for tantric sex, well, then there's something wrong with that. Right. You know? But you'll probably find it. You do find it. (laughs) I was at the tantric festival, and I was talking to my friend Bridget about it, and, like, she met this guy who was just like, like why do people not want to just sleep with me? This is like what we what we do at this festival and it's like and she was just like you're in it for the wrong reasons, dude. You know. Right. So yeah, it's 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 a really interesting, you know, perspective and uh, I really enjoy it, you know, because it's like it's it's gotten me to meditate every morning, hmm. which, you know, you, you. there's always a, there's always a relationship with that, you know, like um it ebbs and flows. But at the same time, like, this is something that I'm, like, I don't beat myself up over not meditating if I if I miss a day or something like that. Just like how you are talking about exercise earlier um, before this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, before that, like, as I was trying to do Qigong and all that stuff, I would, like, go through it. I would do, like, you know, 30 days in a row or something like that. And then I'd just fall off the wagon completely for maybe, like, months at a time. And then I'd be, like, mm, I should have been doing that thing that was, like, really good for me. You know, but it was never something that was like a calling. Mm. It was like I know this is good for me, but it was never like a calling. So like now I feel that. And it's like it's really helped me, honestly, like not only in my life, but also just you know, interacting with people, you know. If you have a tantric person that gives you a hug, it's like the best hug in your in your life. Sure. You know, it's a tantric hug. It is, you know. So huh. yeah, and after like returning from like I went to the festival for like a week, and after returning back into society, there was this integration of like Ooh, hugs aren't amazing and as, as amazing anymore because it's not like you're 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 hugging somebody with all of like your love but then it's like somebody's just like I'm not used to that yeah like, yeah. Withdrawal. You know I mean? yeah yeah yeah, Interesting. yeah so yeah that is that was my kind of relationship with the spirit beautiful yeah Dr. K thank you very much such a pleasure thanks hey, Ane